Everyone and welcome to Ladies Night, the official podcast of US Chess Women. I'm your host Jennifer Shahadi and you are listening to the artist Huga of hugamusica.com and that is a song that certainly captured my heart. Oh Capablanca. His bishop was small. Thanks to everyone who supports the podcast through shares and reviews and Apple Live. If you want to get more involved in all we do at US Chess to empower girls and women through chess, please consider a tax-deductible donation of any size to our US Chess Women program and reach out to me with any questions. And welcome back to Ladies Night. Today, I bring you Davina Devagarin. She is a WFM, a chess streamer at Simply Davina, Twitch partner, coach, and podcast host of Honest Vibes Only. She's also a vocal advocate for girls and women in chess. She was a special guest for US Chess Women at both our online club and at the high school nationals. Davina is incredibly passionate about mental health in chess, especially for young people. And I am really excited to have you on Ladies Night to dig into some of these topics. Welcome, Davina. Thank you so much, Jen. I'm really looking forward to being here and I'm really excited to just talk to you. Podcasting is a really good excuse to just talk to people who you haven't gotten a chance <laughs> to, you know, really get into like more deeper conversations with or people that you talk to all the time and you want to kind of have different types of talks with. Exactly. Looking at your career, um, you're only 21 years old. It's not that surprising to me that you dived into chess streaming and podcasting as you have a really remarkable voice. Um, when did you realize that? And do you have a singing voice as well? I actually never realized that until people in my stream would always mention it. Uh, so I just kind of went with it. Um, and I do actually love to sing. I'm a bit shy to do any public singing, so I've only done a few singing streams. Um, but yeah, I'm really into just recording podcasts and, and singing all that kind of stuff. But I'm I I was always really really shy, so streaming for me, even just talking to a microphone and camera, was really out there for me. So it's taken me a long time to kind of get to the comfort that I am today. So you would just started streaming, and people would be like in the chat, say "sweet voice," basically. <laughs> And that was your first realization that you had like a, a cool voice that was mellifluous to listen to and all that? Yeah, because I, I think it's always the thing where, where you listen to your own voice on a recording and everyone's always like, oh, I always hate listening to my own voice, right? So I was kind of in the same boat. That's interesting because, you know, we, we hear a lot about the haters online and th that, that certainly exists. But it's also true that like the crowd can teach you something good about yourself as well, right? Exactly. And that definitely doesn't get as much attention. So in addition to your stream at Simply Davina, you, you recently rebranded your podcast. You had had a podcast where you talk about your mental health and your career in chess, but you've pivoted. So now you have two co-hosts, um, Katie Learns, who's a YouTuber and, you know, passionate 
new chess devotee and uh, international master Keenan Kiera. Tell us about yeah. that. Yeah, so uh, Keenan kind of reached out um, maybe like a couple months or so, and he was really passionate about wanting to do something because he was noticing when he got back into OTB that a lot of young adults were suffering from depression, and he was felt called on to do something, and he knew that I had a platform that I already spoke about, stuff related to it. Um, so he asked me if I'd be interested in hosting both of them uh, and kind of talking about different topics. So I was really happy to do that. Um, and I still have my solo podcast going, but in between my own solo episodes, we also record episodes with all three of us together, just talking about how mental health affects uh, chess, either from OTB point of view or from content creation point of view, because we all have very different paths, all three of us, that got us to a career in chess today. So it's really cool to just have a, a bunch of different perspectives and hopefully be able to share it to an audience that can relate and hopefully help them out as well. When you mention depression, do you mean like undiagnosed depression or or people who might be struggling with it clinically or haven't been diagnosed yet or just kind of all across the I would board? say it's a mix of it all, honestly, because I think even between the three of us, it's all different as well. So you're very open on your podcast and your stream about the fact that you have struggled with depression and anxiety and you've been working with a therapist for the last couple of years and they have diagnosed you with uh, anxiety and depression. Uh, yes. And um, I had a lot of heavy signs towards PTSD when I was working with my first therapist as well. Um, so I've kind of had my fair share of it all. So I really like just having a podcast to openly talk about it because I feel like we all have very difficult mental health days um, to different extremes. We all have different stories and issues that we're dealing with. And I feel like it's not talked about enough or there's always like a stigma around mental health. So I just want to share my journey out there. And that was the whole purpose of my own podcast. Um, not just a way for me to share my story, but also let me get stuff that's on my mind out there as well. And if anyone can listen and relate and I can help even just one person, then it's kind of been a success already for me. That's really a fantastic mission. And I love that you do that. You're 21 years old, and so that puts you pretty firmly in Gen Z. And I have heard that, and I, I've experienced it as well, that uh, both Gen Z and perhaps younger millennials are more open about talking about mental health. And sometimes we even say like, you know, to their friends, if they cancel, you know what, I'm just having a mental health day. And um, do you think that's true? And is it um, something that you'd like to see even more of? I definitely do think it's more common in my generation, and I definitely would like to see more of it. Um, I, I think for me, a lot of it is because my parents, they worked really hard to get to where they uh, were. And I remember growing up, it was all about, you know, working hard and I had a very, very busy schedule my entire life. There was barely any rest. If there was free time, it was usually spent trying to work on something. And I think that I mental health was never talked about in my house and even understanding what that meant or what anxiety means and everything. It was just something that was never talked about or invalidated. And I think a lot of people my age or with a similar backstory can relate to that. And I think that's why this generation is really pushing to be more open about it because I feel like if we don't talk about it, we're all just kind of struggling, you know, behind closed doors and just barely scratching the surface and it can affect, you know, 
our work. It can affect how we even interact with people and just even how we can cope with what we're dealing with. So um, I definitely love to see it talked about more and I'm already happy with how often I see it talked about. I think that destigmatizing of of mental health and recognizing mental health days is a legitimate reason for, you know, canceling or or not being able to attend or not being able to have a meeting that you intended to have. I think that that's definitely a really good step in the right direction. For sure. When I talk about the generational progress that seems to be made in that area, you talked about how you feel like a lot of people your age have a similar struggle that um, maybe they were pushed very hard and whether it's homework or extracurricular activities. Yeah. Is that part of it that there was just so much work in high school and middle school that you weren't able to really have as much time for yourself? Um, I think so, but also just there was a lot of expectations that were, you know, expected to be met. And um, I, I think you put so much pressure on, on kids. I know I had a lot of pressure and when I kind of broke under that pressure, I wasn't able to perform it always felt like I was kind of a failure um, rather than trying to understand, you know, how all the pressure and expectations can really kind of break down a kid that young going through it so consistently and in so many different areas of their life. Um, so I think that was a, another big part of it too. I I played tournaments basically every weekend for years and years. And, you know, when I had that expectation that I had to perform at every tournament or if not, it would be, you know, a rough week, then kind of did a lot, you know, to me. And I wasn't even able to really play my best chess even because of it. Failure is a part of the process. It's a, it's an opportunity to learn. And especially in a game of chess, like when we've played, you know, thousands of games and tournaments, like we can't put that expectation of, you know, oh, we can't blunder. How could you blunder? And how could you miss this when we're going to lose so many games and blunder in so many ways? And it just happens and you just have to learn from it and move on and understand that that doesn't define you or your career and prepare for the next one. So was there a specific moment that you decided to quit chess? Because you did give it up, it sounds like, for two or three years. Yeah. So I believe it was 2019. I think I was almost 18 and I had, um, I was on my way to NM and then I had a really, really awful tournament. Um, and then by that point, I had been wanting to quit the game for years, but I slowly tried to, you know, not talk about chess at all, try to not play a tournament. And I, at some point, um, I just kind of quit. And then I started college and all that. So I took a break until uh, 2020 April. And that's when the whole streaming thing blew up. And a couple of my friends asked me to stream. So in May 2020, after my semester was over, um, I picked it up and just kind of came back to the game because of it. It started off just for fun. I didn't expect it to go anywhere. And now we're here today. And it's kind of crazy how that took such a big turn. Yeah. And it sounds like the streaming aspect of the game is actually really good for your mental health and chess, which interesting to me because I also think that for some people it could carry some pitfalls. But for you, it's been like a real positive, it sounds like. Yeah, I think everyone has a different journey with streaming. And I think for me... It was the first time I had been in a chess community where there wasn't pressure to perform and people were just there to support you, to laugh, just to have a good time. And I think it's because I didn't really ever feel that before in my chess career when I felt that I was able to come back to the game, not only as an adult, but with a different perspective on it. And 
it also gave me the chance to connect with different people that I either hadn't in a long time or people I used to look up to maybe when I was a kid, just like you, and kind of get to know a lot of you. And that made me pretty happy. So I just kind of went with it. Do you have a a coaching philosophy? Do you tend to discuss mental health with a lot of your students? I, I wonder if that's a reason that some of them come to you. I talk about the psychological aspect a lot um, when I'm analyzing with students. All my students are adults, so I feel like it's a it's a really cool group to work with um, because some of them are brand new to the game or they played it as a kid and are coming back to it. So I definitely talk about it a lot because I, I have a lot of students that are hard on themselves when they either lose a game either online or OTB or it's their first tournament and they're putting all that pressure on themselves and I think for some people, you know, they do well under pressure and obviously everyone performs um, better in different ways. But I think because I come with a quite a difficult backstory with chess, I preach kind of all the things that I didn't receive um, in, in terms of, you know, not to be hard on yourself, don't define yourself by a result, how to, uh, I guess, take care of yourself, not just physically, but also mentally before, during, and after a tournament. So I, I do talk about that a lot with students, but I try to adapt it based on what student is struggling with what. According to Merriam-Webster, gaslighting is the word of 2022. And from some of your previous remarks about your own upbringing, it sounds like you are well acquainted with that concept, that you didn't realize the signs of some of the abuse you were experiencing until you changed your environment. Do you have any tips for people to kind of be able to like realize that maybe they're not in a good environment when it's what they're used to? Yeah, it can it can be pretty hard. I would say I always knew it was toxic, but I I didn't really understand the extent to it. Um I would say being in a toxic environment as a kid can be hard because it's hard to really get out of it. You don't really quite have the control over it. Um but one thing I would say is you kind of have to prioritize taking care of yourself. Um and it can be a bit hard to do, but you're kind of the only person that might be there to take care of yourself and be kind to yourself when maybe your environment isn't. Um, so I I would always say that try to remind yourself, you know, if if you think you're being a failure, if you think everything is your fault, you're not responsible for other people's emotions and you can't control other people's actions. Um, so don't let, you know, anyone think, or make you think that it's your faults. Um, I would say I think that's one thing in my case that I had to constantly remind myself and learn uh, as I got older. Despite this difficult chess beginnings, you must have loved the game a lot to leave and then come back. I I think so. I think it, my love for the game was just clouded a lot growing up. So I think coming back to it with no pressure. And having a chance to actually enjoy the game all over again um, made me just kind of realize, you know, how beautiful the game is. And I can tell that I enjoy it more because I know it's online ratings, but <laughs> my online ratings have improved. You know, I feel like the way I calculate has improved. And I, I don't study a ton just uh, for myself. I mainly study just to keep up with my coaching skills and obviously for streaming. Um, but I can definitely tell that I've improved and I don't have plans to play OTB yet at the moment, but um, I'm not eliminating it from from my future. So maybe I'll tap back into that at some point. 
What kind of mental health or psychological um, hurdles do you see your adult students struggling with most frequently? I think a lot of it is they will put in the time and they're very passionate about the game. They love to play. But I think the minute they don't see results, either after a certain tournament or after a month or a couple months, they start thinking that they're doing something wrong. Why can't I improve? And I think it's just the impatience for results is the biggest thing that I come across. Um, and another thing is, you know, we will go through kind of the basic questions to ask themselves when they're playing a game, things to watch out for. Um, and another problem I see is they don't really apply that what they learn when they're actually playing. So I try to always remind them, you know, firstly, don't be hard on yourself because chess, as we both know, can take years to see improvements. Um, but also just you have to be able to set aside time, even if it's 30 minutes in a day, you have to set aside time to practice what you're learning in order to also give your chance to see results as well. Yeah, absolutely. Chess is so hard. Oh my God. <laughs> to judge yeah. yourself based on how well you do in chess is it's not a good idea because it's so difficult. So like, yeah, you got to be really, I'd say radical kindness towards yourself. Everyone, you know, deals with it differently and needs to prepare themselves differently. So whatever works for you might work different for someone else. But I always make sure to tell my students, have some way that works for you, you know, try different ways and figure out what works for you to prepare yourself for, you know, these types of situations that will inevitably come up. Do you think that chess can help people with their mental health? Like in, because we're talking about like a lot of the negatives that can make you feel like bad about yourself because blundering is so um, endemic to the game. Are there ways in which you think chess can be kind of like a salve? I think so. It's actually funny because earlier on my stream today, someone came in and they said they've been playing for only about a, a week and they said chess is really relaxing for them. And I, I made a joke that I've never really heard chess and relax in the in the same sentence. Um, so I think that there are a lot of positives to chess. I mean, firstly, it's just a beautiful game. And I think a lot of people, especially newer to the game, they get addicted to the game a lot because they see how beautiful it is. And I think to be able to keep your mind active, my, my oldest student is 72 years old and he loves the game because it keeps his mind active. He tells me that every week. Um, I think it's beautiful because it's like, it's a universal language. Like any age can play it. There's, you know, students like my my oldest student and there's also students that can barely see above the, the board when they're playing over the board. And we can all connect to this game. And I think it's just, there can be a lot of positives and it's all just about how you, all about your mindset towards the game, I think. It's true what you say about older students of the game that it can really be helpful for their mental health. And I think there are some studies on that as well, like um, in um, Wording Off Dementia. Interestingly, I, I think it could also be really powerful for people who don't know how to play or who've never really played seriously before. Uh, as difficult as that might be, as daunting as that might be, it, it's like for somebody in their senior years to take up chess uh, for the first time, like that is amazing. It's really beautiful to see. And, you know, even the most casual people that barely know how to play or just play for fun. I've never had anyone, I've never heard anyone say, I just don't like chess. If they're just, you know, a casual player that barely knows the game, everyone's always excited to hear about chess. They're always like, oh, do you want to play a game? Like, it's really wholesome to see. 
Yeah, it is beautiful to see people like fall in love with it. What is your favorite thing about chess? I just love the tactics that you can find in chess, the beautiful patterns. Um, and I also love bullet chess because <laughs> it's it's really fun. And that actually, I would say, relaxes me, even though it's not a relaxing time control at all. Right. I get that, though, because you can't really think about anything else. So yeah. when you're playing bullet, like you've entered a different realm. And I remember at the high school nationals in Memphis, you were playing against Epiphany um, Peters, Mary Chess on her stream. Um, and you guys are both really good bullet players. And so that was like pretty dazzling to watch the girls like that. Playing over the board is like a whole different ball game because you can't pre-move anything. <laughs> so it's really <laughs> fun to play over the board. I don't get that chance too much. So, But at least, you, you know, she's a big uh, online player too. So you were at least equally perturbed by not being able to pre-move, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> it was tough for both of us because pieces started flying towards the end. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. What kind of tips do you have for people to get better at bullet chess? Because it seems like one of those things that the um, skills to improve in it would probably be a little different than like general chess improvement, right? Right. I I would say for bullet chess, if you're playing online, learning a bunch of pre-move tricks can be really fun. Like if your opponent only has, you know, a couple seconds left, throwing in a bunch of checks, even if you lose material, can be helpful because your opponent doesn't expect it. Um, and I would say getting a decent mouse can be helpful. Learning how to move fast with your mouse can be also helpful. Um, but I think just a lot of pre-move tricks are out there. Um, if you're losing, trying to figure out a way to go for stalemate, I think, uh, Eric Rosen is famous for (laughs) those tricks. That can be another thing. But it's, it's really funny because all the skills required to be a good, uh, chess player in, in bullet are usually quite different from any other time control. Yeah, but there's still like a pretty clear correlation between great players and great bullet players, or at least the ability to become good at it. Like some people right. start really bad, but if they apply themselves, they'll be able to like transfer. Yeah, I think pattern recognition is a huge thing as well. And I think I, I love to do puzzle rush. Um, I like to puzzle battle viewers too. And a lot of those checkmates that I've gone over like thousands of times now, sometimes they pop up in my bullet games and I just instantly go for it because that pattern recognition is just ingrained in me. Oh yeah, Puzzle Rush, you you love that. I mean, that was such a hit a couple of years ago. It seemed like a lot of people kind of like hit a plateau at some point. Is there a way to like get over a plateau in Puzzle Rush? Oh, getting over a plateau in Puzzle Rush. I would say sometimes, so I only do three minute Puzzle Rush. If you can do longer Puzzle Rush, like five minutes, give yourself a bit more time to think and try to solve some of those puzzles that you might don't have the pattern recognition for yet and try to get a bit better at that. You'll slowly get faster at some point. And then here and there, you know, throw in a faster puzzle rush and uh, just kind of test yourself. Or if you're trying to get the first 10 in a certain amount of time, those are quite easy. Just try to drill that pattern recognition over and over again because it's usually the similar ones. Um, And at some point you'll see improvement. That's how it was for me. Like for the first year that I did puzzle rush, I was only getting in the 30s or barely reaching 30. Um, and now I can get to like the 40s. So it can, improvement will come. <laughs> I think one of the things I struggle with with it is like uh, like fast thinking skills. Cause I remember asking my brother, cause he's like a bit of a faster thinker than me. And I was like, well, how do I increase my puzzle rush score? And he said that I needed to get like the first 20. And like, I can't remember, but whatever it sounded, it sounded like impossible to me with the number <laughs> that he said, like, you, you just need to focus on getting the first 20 in like the first minute or something, something like that. And 
I was like, well, I, well, okay, that's easy to say, but like right. <laughs> that requires like a brain, a brain computer coordination. I guess you're saying just gets better with practice. I think it does. And another thing I do for me as well, like I'm, I'm trying to reach a certain goal before the end of the year in Puzzle Rush. And if I try to think through every puzzle, I'm never going to reach that goal because I just don't have enough time. So one thing I've been doing is I try to do the first 20, just like my first instinct. Uh-huh. Um, and sometimes it'll be a great run and other times I'll get too wrong in, within the first 10. Um, but just trying to trust your gut instinct and just testing that out uh, can be a good tool as well to kind of indicate how well is your pattern recognition just off the bat or, you know, where are you lacking? That can be a good thing. And what is your favorite type of tactic? Oh, um, I I honestly just love tactics with with knights. <laughs> uh, not really anything in specific, but I I just find knight tactics really pretty. So any kind of like smothered maid or knight fork. Yeah, and and I also like I don't know what it's called, but if there's like a bishop on b six and you play like knight g three check, double up the h and g pawns, the kings on h one, and like queen h six. I feel like a mate like that is really pretty as well. I don't know what the name is for that though, but you sack the knight for a, for a checkmate. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I don't know if it has a name that I can think of, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny. The one with the the knight on e7 is the Anastasia. Mm-hmm. But then when it, what, what, what about when it's a bishop that's stopping the king from coming to g8? Mm-hmm. Yeah, got to find that out. Do you have any favorite players? Oh, um... I feel like I've been asked this a lot, but I've, I've honestly never really had an answer for it. I would say one person I really love is probably Nezmadinov. Um, he was known to be one of the best attacking players of all time. And I haven't gone through many of his games, um, but there's a couple games that I definitely do with all my students. And his calculation was just like out of this world. I love aggressive play, even though I'm definitely more of a positional player, but I I can love a good tactical aggressive game. Now, women and girls chess, this is ladies' night. Do you think there's any psychological issues that maybe affect female players more than male players? I would say that just the fact that normally if a girl goes to a tournament, there's way more guys than girls can be a bit intimidating. Um, I definitely think it's improved. But I remember back when I was a kid playing, like I was usually the only girl there like a lot of times. Um, and also I guess something that I personally faced and I'm sure a lot of other girls might've faced is if I lose to someone lower rated or mess up or something, it always felt like they would, you know, talk behind my back a lot more than if one of their friends lost. And I, I never knew if it's just because I was a girl or not, but that kind of was never really fun to listen to. Um, because they wouldn't be, you know, dis- discreet about it either. So I would say for me, those were the two biggest things. Yeah. Yeah. It can be hard because there is more people kind of like out to get you in a way. Like if you, if you play a really good game or do really well, you might get more accolades. But like the flip side of that is that if you don't, you're also going to get more attention for like your failures, which ties into all of these common psychological issues that you describe. That's why in our girls club, we're always getting questions about like, how do people deal with pressure? How do they deal with like the fear of plundering or making mistakes? It's just, it's so common, you know, so many of, and I'm happy that they feel comfortable asking those questions. One thing, I think it was, uh, I think it might've been a movie, maybe Knights of the South Bronx, 
Um, but it was like a trust movie. And I think in that movie, there was a quote that was like, you're, you're playing the pieces, not the person. And that's, that's stuck with me until today because I've, there's been a lot of times where I see someone's name on the pairings list and then I'm instantly intimidated or I'm worried. I have a bad score against this person. They're so much better than me. But at the end of the day, like the beauty of chess, it is, it is a solo game for the most part and just go out there and you're playing the pieces. Don't worry about the person. There's going to be a lot of people that talk bad about you, no matter how well you do even. And a lot of why chess is so psychological is because you have to build that strength mentally to not care about what those people are saying about you. And what other messages do you like to spread to like the, the chess community via your podcast, which by the way is called Honest Vibes Only and in your stream? What do you feel like the chess needs more of in its culture? I would say probably, I always feel like in streams, I feel a sense of community, but I always feel like over the board, I I never really used to feel too much of that sense of community. Um, and I don't know if it was mainly because I was a girl or not, and I didn't feel like I, I belonged too well with the environment that I was in. Um, but I would say just learning that chess is a game and there is a lot of a competitive factor to it. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like we should all just kind of come together to support everyone, whether they have a great tournament or whether they have a bad tournament and not wait on people to do badly and kind of like prey on their downfall a bit, because that's something that I experienced a lot growing up. And I definitely think we're moving in a better direction from like 10 years ago, but I think there could definitely be just more of that love in the in the chess community in general. If you've had a really, really rough tournament, just know that all the people you played and probably everyone in that room has also probably had a really, really rough tournament as well. Just stepping out there and being in the arena is 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 brave and you can consider that in itself like a victory of sorts. So I'm trying to tell my son as he's debating whether or not to play the kindergarten championship. And I said, oh. just playing is, is a victory. Exactly. And if you enjoy the game, at the end of the day, no matter what happens, just never lose that love for the game because that's the reason. Remember, tell yourself that's why you got into it in the first place. It's all just for fun. So you talk about a lot of really serious topics on your podcast with uh, Katie and Keita and Kira. Like, what can we expect from that collaboration going forward? Are there any kind of plans that you guys have to talk and advise the community in, in new directions? Yeah, so we kind of came up with a, a handful of different topics that we want to cover. Um, I think I have a couple of episodes that I'll need to publish because um, Keaton's away right now. So some episodes will be all three of us. Some of them will be just me and Keaton or me and Katie. Um, and we're just going to kind of talk about different topics. Sometimes we'll have even a Q&A where different people can ask us questions and we can tackle certain topics and answer certain questions. Um, and again, the the whole point of it is just because we all come from different walks of life into the whole chess career, um, even though we have had such different uh, paths, we all have a similar presence and we can all relate in multiple different topics. And the whole goal is just to talk about those different topics again, like how mental health can affect chess, whether it's OTB, whether it's just casual play. Um, adults coming into the game that are new, if you've someone that have been playing for a long time, 
um, and also the content creation sphere of it all. And just talk about different topics that we feel like a lot of people struggle with or a lot of people talk about um, that might not be as spoken about enough or some people are scared to talk about it and just kind of take on those topics and try to give our take on it um, and just hoping that someone can can relate and it can help someone. I think it's it's wonderful work that you're doing. Speaking of podcasts, about a year and a half ago, you were actually on a different U.S. chess podcast with uh, with Pete on um, the Chess Underground. And at first I was thinking like, oh, you know, that is kind of recent. Maybe I shouldn't have you on. But then I realized for you, like so much has happened in like a year and a half. Like it's <laughs> it's really been quite a journey. Like at, at the time you spoke with Pete, it was very early on in your like new career as a chess player. And now you're like, you're much deeper into it. It's honestly really crazy because sometimes time flies. Sometimes it feels like it hasn't been that long. But when I step back and look back at it, like in the two and a half to one and a half years, I've been kind of full time into this. It's so much has seriously happened. And I don't even have time to sit back and just process it all. Sometimes it's just like onto the next thing, onto the next thing. When you were just starting out in content, if you could have told yourself one thing, what would you have said? I would have said to probably believe in myself and keep at it. Um, because there's a lot of times back then when I didn't assume it would go anywhere. And when I thought, oh, it's not really working out. And I there was many times where I did want to quit. Um, but I would tell myself, keep pushing through, keep grinding, and you will carve a path for yourself. I'm like a writer and a podcaster. And if I say something that I want to get rid of, I just like delete it. But being on screen all the time is an experience I had when I was doing a lot of commentary for the St. Louis Chess Club. And yeah, sometimes you just say something in a way that you regret and it can be hard to get out of my mind. How do you deal with that? That happens to me a lot. And I think that's why I've scrapped so so many of my solo podcast episodes because I don't have a script. So sometimes I'll just forget something I want to say or not phrase something how I wanted to. And I'll be like, oh, I'm not satisfied with that. Um, I think on stream, I'm generally, I try to be very careful about how I'm talking. And I try to think through what I'm trying to say as I'm saying it sometimes. Um, and, and it can be hard if I'm like playing a bullet game and trying to talk about like some deep mental health topic. Um, but if I, if I mess up or I say something I didn't really intend to say or phrase it wrong, I try to correct myself because we all know the minute we say something we didn't really mean to say or it comes off wrong. Um, so I try to just correct myself and rephrase what I'm saying until it kind of makes sense in the way I wanted it to to be, I guess. Now you seem pretty chill about your career in podcasting and streaming, but it does seem like I sometimes hear these murmurings of people who struggle with like the, just kind of like the, um, how do I say it? The range or the way that uh, how many people view your content, um, how many stream, how many viewers you have can really um, change dramatically from day to day, depending on whether you get a raid or just like the time of day and the weather, all these sorts of factors can kind of change your audience numbers and your viewers. Do people struggle with that? And do you struggle with that? I definitely think a lot of people definitely do struggle with it because unfortunately we're kind of in an industry where we do depend on other people as much as we don't want to because we have to depend on other people to tune in and watch us and follow us for the numbers and everything. Um, 
I struggle with that a lot sometimes because if I put a lot of effort into something and it flops, I feel like I've failed a little bit, you know, in a way. So I always try to remind myself that I, like just two years ago, I never thought I would be here today. And I never thought that I would be on a path that I'm genuinely like proud and excited to be on. And I try to tell myself that in this industry, there will be a lot of days where my charges might be a bit more empty and there might not be as many people and I might work hard on a project and it might unfortunately not do good. Um, but then I'll try to remind myself that the me a year ago would have wished to be where I am today. And if I keep grinding, I've seen opportunities come up. I've seen fulfillment in what I'm doing. And despite the bad days to keep going because I'm on my way to being where I've always dreamed of being. So don't give up. Do you notice correlation between the um, work that you like the most and the number of people who um, appreciate it? Because to me, that's sometimes where I think it can feel like a bit, a bit random and unsatisfying to people that like, there's not always a direct link in that way, right? Like you could have an amazing podcast or stream and you could have fewer viewers and then you could do something that you find mediocre and it just totally blows up. Honestly, for me, that's how I, I kind of feel uh, about my stream sometimes with certain topics. Like I love to talk about, you know, mental health and just deeper conversations sometimes. Um, and, you know, I, I know a lot of streamers that also do that on their streams um, that aren't chess related. And, you know, I look up to those kind of people and I, I try to implement things I love to see into my own streams. And sometimes people are just there for the chess, you know, and, and some days they don't engage in certain conversations or Maybe I'll just ask random questions and they won't answer. And I just try to, and that's why I kind of branched out into the different projects and platforms that I've taken on because I want to have an outlet to do everything I'm passionate about. So with the podcast, sometimes not a lot of people will view my podcast and listen to them, um, but there will be people that want to, and I'm putting it out there for myself and those people. I would listen to a podcast about this on Ezra Klein's show. And I, I, right now the name of his guest is escaping me, but he was fantastic. And he was talking about like kind of the gamification of social media and how we have to remember that having like 10 people listen to something or read something and have their lives changed by it is more powerful than having like thousands of people like listen to something or watch something and have it just be kind of like a blip on their day. And that sometimes because there's such an emphasis on raw numbers and social media, we lose sight of that. Like I was recently on another podcast, Chess Feels, and Julia was saying that, Julia Rios was saying that she likes her, she has a lot of viral tweets. They get like hundreds and hundreds mm -hmm. of hearts and whatnot yeah. and retweets. But she says she actually prefers the ones that are like 30 to 40 because it usually means like they're the highest quality with like the coolest <laughs> people. And I was like, that's such a great attitude because... I don't think that's true for everyone. With some people, there is like a more direct correlation between like quality and love, but not always. And like with some people, the work that you do that means the most is not the work that gets the most attention. And I think like realizing that is like really good. Yeah, that's true. And it took me a while to to realize that for sure. And some days I, I still have that kind of negative mindset of, oh, I put my effort into something where I was really proud of this. And no one seems didn't it didn't seem like it helped anyone or don't it didn't seem like people were interested but then randomly someone will come in and say oh i listened to this it was like a really cool episode or oh this post made my day and 
them saying that will make my day too because I'm like, oh, someone, it helped someone. Like that's the whole purpose of what I was doing. So I think it's really beautiful when people are able to express what they get from something that they listen to because it really does help the person who created it. This is something you guys discussed a little bit when we had that panel and you're all talking about like content and like how people can be good audience members or good consumers of content, especially when they're not paying for it. Like that there are these different things you can do to help. I would say that, you know, again, like how I mentioned, because this industry, we rely so much on other people. Feedback is so important. And if we're doing something that someone enjoys, it's really helpful to hear about that because not only will it make our day, like it, I can I can probably speak for a lot of people when I say like even the smallest compliment or the smallest way we impact someone like will make my literal week. So hearing those things helps out a ton because it also tells us, okay, we're going in the right direction or, oh, let's keep doing this. And I mean, if there's things that people don't enjoy that we do or we could improve, like all those different comments help us a lot. And we all, I mean, if you're someone that genuinely loves watching us and supporting us, whether it's criticism, uh, what is it? Constructive criticism or whether it's a compliment, like we want to hear it because we want to make sure we're putting out content that people enjoy consuming. Right. So the, the more that we can hear about it, the better. Yeah. And you mentioned, just to circle back to the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned that when you started streaming, so many people mentioned how much they love your voice. And I think that like compliments can be really infectious as well. So like you you say honest vibes only is the name of your podcast and like positive vibes are so infectious. So if like one person is being super positive online, then like it really rubs off on the other people watching. It's like kind of like imitate what other people are doing in a good way. Also, it could be in a bad way. That's why like trolls, they like duplicate themselves because when one is there saying bad stuff, it kind of communicates that it's okay for the other trolls to come party at the troll party. And like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. learning where to draw the line with that stuff is something you kind of just start to learn as the more you go into it. It's, um, it's, it's tough, but you know, if you stream on Twitch, that's kind of what Twitch is, you know, along with, there's always more good than bad, but there's always those trolls that are going to be there and just learning how to deal with them and just put the band hammer down when you need to and just move on. Don't give them the attention. That's what you guys were talking about, right? The band hammer a little right. bit. <laughs> but like Because you do want to foster a community where people don't think you're super trigger happy with bands, but then you also want to keep the community clean and, you know, positive. So like, yeah, drawing that line is, is tricky for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I, I can see that. Can you give an example of a time where you were like kind of on the fence? Like this is annoying, but maybe I'll keep it for now because they're just stating their opinion. Yeah. I'd say sometimes and this could be more with like female creators where some people are just there to give you know, genuine compliments, you know, either supporters or new people that tune in. And we appreciate that. Um, but there's also the people that give compliments to the point where it's a bit weird or or creepy or they're saying things in a certain way that rubs off the wrong way. And you, sometimes you let one or two slide because you want to give them a chance, especially if, you know, they're new. But if it kind of keeps happening at some point, you're like, okay, let's, you know, let's calm down a bit. You're right. Like um, we... We uh, we just met. <laughs> um, and I think there's a, this whole 
topic of, I believe the term is like parasocial relationships. Um, and I think that's a big thing when it comes to not just Twitch streamers, but just content creators in general in, in the industry. Um, and I think knowing where to draw the line sometimes there is another whole topic um, that I, I'm slowly learning about. Um, but sometimes I also am not quite sure when to draw the line sometimes. It just kind of depends. What does that mean, parasocial relationships? I believe parasocial, I, I don't want to say the exact definition because I might be wrong, but it's basically when someone, for example, thinks you're like a, like a friends with a certain creator or trying to get them to on a personal level, but the creator is like, they're there to entertain, right? For example, I think Ludwig put this in a nice way one time where he's there to entertain and give the child a good time and interact. But once he's offline, he's offline doing his own thing, right? He's not trying to build those relationships to a point past whatever his boundary is, right? Um, and I think some people try to push that boundary a bit. I and become friends with people in real life, which occasionally does happen. And that's why mm-hmm. it's like this blurry line because right. like, in general, it's like kind of like the exception. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I can see that can be a real big issue for female creators. And I think really does keep a lot of women outside this this field of chess and content creation, which is why it's so important to kind of like have that nose for when to draw the line to make sure that your community is respectful. And you you seem like you've done a great job of it because I, I have to say like you and Epiphany also, because we were discussing this at the uh, panel and it seemed like you all had such remarkably positive experiences and had like grown a community that this was really the exception that you would have the unpleasant experiences. Yeah, for sure. I I think a lot of how you present yourself can also attract the type of people that you want. Um, And I think, I think we both did a good job of that. Um, And I think that we built the community up to a point where even when there are trolls and there are negative experiences, even just people in chat who aren't mods or haven't even been there for a long time, they kind of know what's going on and we all just kind of deal with it and we, we move on and we always come out more positive than whatever negative things might happen. One thing that I've definitely seen progress for that seems somewhat steady and as a member of Gen Z, I, I'm curious your thoughts on it. Is it does seem like there's more male allyship than there used to be. Like if somebody says something unacceptable to a woman, I just think it's much more frequent to see men speaking up. I think so too. Um, there's been a lot of drama on my on my Twitter timeline these days, and I've definitely seen it happen more. Uh, I can't speak too much from like personal experiences as much, um, but I do see it around me a lot more, especially since. These days I'm on social media more than I was like back when I was a kid. Um, and I can definitely see it. So I'm I'm hoping that we're making more positive strides in, in those areas. Twitter is changing a lot these days, you know. Right. Uh, that's, that's something, you know, you're, you got to keep your eye on for sure. Speaking of Twitter, we can find you on at Simply Davina on Twitch, Twitter, Instagram. You have a website as well where you have your your coaching links and your all your social media networks in one place. Yeah, that one is DavinaDev.com. DavinaDev.com. And you have Honest Vibes Only, which you guys should sub to. I listen to it on Spotify, but you're also on all the places, right? Apple, Google Pods. Yeah. Spotify, Apple Music, and I post the project with uh, Keaton and Katie on YouTube. Oh, right. Yes. You've got the YouTube videos too, so that you can see you guys talking at the same time. You're firing at all the different cylinders and then you have your YouTube channel as well. 
it's incredible the work ethic that you bring to content and to your passion for chess and for mental health. I'm really happy that you were able to find an hour to chat with me for Ladies Night. Thank you so much and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Really honored to be here. And thank you so much for having me. If you like what we're doing at U.S. Chess to encourage women and girls to explore STEM fields, accentuate competence, and approach an even ratio with a focus on intersectionality, your donation to our U.S. Chess Women programs is always appreciated and tax deductible. The U.S. Chess Suite of Podcasts, including Ladies Night, are produced and edited by Jason Andre at Seven Season Films, Photography and Media. Please visit sevenseasonfilms.com to find out how to start your own podcast. Don't forget to listen and subscribe to all U.S. Chess Podcasts from One Move at a Time, Cover Stories, and The Chess Underground. Till next time, may every night be ladies' night. Now according to Sockfish I got it all wrong After slightly My dear Capablanco, you tell me we'll learn more from us.